Oh, the Palm Sunday one. Yes. Oh, yes. That was so good. You'll love it. It's it's not too late. You can still watch it, even though you and I loved about it was that remember the timeline we did last week and we said in a tell Messiah, the prince, and we talked about Luke 19 and how this was his triumphal entry. Well, that's what we celebrated yesterday, his triumphal entry. So that's the day if, if you want to make an, a, a real present day application. It's just exciting to see that. I think another thing about that whole idea of him coming and fulfilling certain feasts and holidays also, and although the triumphal entry was a prophesied word, but he was also coming in because of the, the feast that was about to come upon them, right? Every one of those feasts that have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, the spring feasts are fulfilled. We're now waiting for the fall feasts. And so for us, it's, I know doo, doo, doo. <laughs> what's kind of fun about that is every year you kind of look around and you think, okay, it's time for this part of the feast to be fulfilled. It's in this season that God will do this. And so you can look forward to, the, to knowing that. And every year it's just kind of an, an, a, a moment of just, you know, thinking, okay, so on these days of the year, God designated them and decreed them for Israel. And so we can look to those things as a way of just reflecting and knowing what's yet to come, what's ahead and what will be fulfilled in its literal reality. There, you know, in prophecy, we see so much symbolism, but what we don't ever want to do is be um, thinking that they're only symbolic because there's a reality to them. So although their history presented to us in picture form so that we can kind of relate to them, they are also something that are going to be literally fulfilled. Just as Christ's first coming to fulfill this, those spring feasts, those first three feasts, those were literally fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And those fall feasts will also. So exciting, huh? All right. Well, good morning to everybody out there in the zoom land <laughs> don't zoom to sleep down there okay <laughs> okay now we are going to cover let's see if i can find my list okay daniel we did daniel 10 11 and 12 Focusing upon chapter 10 of Daniel as your primary work, that's where you should have really done your digging in and did your thorough observations of marking all your keywords, noting all your time references, making lists. Oh my goodness, how many lists were there to make on this week? I mean, I don't know if you did them or not because you were so buried in all the other work, but if you did and if you had the time to do some of those, there are so many, you know, think about what are some of the subjects that came up in chapter 10 what are some of those keywords there yep vision itself and then that would have been quite lengthy the word understanding okay yes the message vision understanding now is the message different from the vision no so the message is the vision. So it's a synonym for it, okay? Just so you know that. You could have marked message in the same way that you marked vision. And if you didn't, that's okay. You just, you know, consider the fact that once you, here's how you would have known <laughs> making your list. 
as you started to make your list about the message, you would come to so see pretty soon. You go, oh, this is the vision, because <laughs> you keep going back. To, Mm-hmm. No, no, it wasn't. Isn't that it? that is true? Wasn't? Um, why do you think that is? I looked up the word message and it was speech. Yes. Yes. Okay. So in this vision, what was the distinction of this vision versus others? Because you brought this up earlier that you you were having trouble to figuring out. You know what was the vision, right? Isn't that amazing? Okay, so here's something that I think you've you've nailed in on as far as the possibility of coming to understanding about who the man in linen is. Who was the vision of? A certain man dressed in linen. And then with a with a gold sash wrapped or whatever, or girded with a, a sash of gold. Um the very fact that the vision was he himself, that means whoever he is, do you think do you think he's equivalent to being any of the angels that were also mentioned throughout the text in Daniel? Like, do we see a vision of Michael? Do we see a vision of Gabriel? And although we know both of those angels are higher, high, uh, they're considered high angels or captains, archangels, right? These are the these are the ones who have been designated with very specific works, but also been equipped with great power to accomplish whatever it is that they're assigned to do. This is the cool thing: God created Michael to do what? What does it say in chapter twelve, verse one, about Michael? He's the one who guards Israel, right? Now, if God created him and chose him, marked him out, gave him that power of an authority, do you think he's capable? Do you think anything could stop him? If God's the one empowering, can anything stop him? How about even those princes of uh, Persia or princes of Greece? Could they have thwarted him or stopped him or... Held him back? No. Okay, so if you retain that thought line, the fact that God created a, a, a specific angel, gave him authority and power to do a specific job that, that God wants done for, for Israel, then consider all the rest that was said in chapter 10 and the, and the verbiage of it that it's not saying he's incapable or he can't or he needed help or he needed this or he need it's not that at all it has to be something else because if if for instance michael who is who is uh declared to be the one who is going to watch over israel and god put him there you can be absolutely assured he will kind of makes me think of the 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 ones the two angels that were set to guard the the garden of eden after the sinning occurred Trust me, they were not going to fail. Why? Because God said, you will not have access to this any longer. That is my will. And these angels were posted there and it was not going to happen. So I think, I think what's going to be wonderful is next week when we do our study on all these angels, which is what your whole study next week is going to be about, who is Satan, kind of get a feel for him. I mean, we can get lost in those details too. But some of the things that I want you to just kind of make a note to yourself on as you're going to go in to do that homework is 
how does this help me understand Daniel better? Not just go into it for the sake of gathering information about each of these subjects, but as you're looking at these subjects, the things that you're learning, how does that help you understand what's going on in the book of Daniel better? When you're looking at Michael, when you're looking at Gabriel, when you're looking at Satan, how does that help you understand Daniel's message that God most high? Let's review what our, our book theme is. What is the theme of Daniel's book on the whole? This, it, that's right. That's the, one of the major subjects is the sovereignty of God. What's the other major quality of God? Okay, so that's his sovereignty that he's and he's and he does rule and he reigns. But what else does he? What's his other quality? Okay, sovereignty. Well, it's expressed in there, but is that a quality that's brought out in the book of Daniel? Love. Eh, yeah, I mean, we can see, find it if we look for it hard enough, right? Absolutely. There's another quality of God. Is at, What about all these visions? What is God saying? He reveals the future. He knows the future. He's omniscient. So he's sovereign and omniscient. He's, he's powerful and he's all-seeing and all-knowing. So, and, and the fact that he's all-seeing and all-knowing, he also is sovereign to command certain things and he is able to make them come to fruition, right? So he says something and then he does it. And in the process of doing that, what's his relationship with uh, pe people on the earth? He wants us to know his will. He wants us to know what's coming in the future. Right. So that we can get right. <laughs> yeah, so you can get it right. Okay. The premise behind uh, the book of Daniel on the whole is about a nation that was called out to be his representative in the world. We talked about this quite a bit last week in the opening. And for that reason, God chose them. And then of course they failed in it. And so God had to then reply in the way that he said he would. What covenant was Israel in with uh, God? The Israel, the nation. They were in a conditional covenant. Yeah. He was in an unconditional covenant. Daniel also, yes, okay. So we really, so, I, again, let's just keep that in mind that there are kind of two covenants going on all in, in the Old Testament on the whole. The first covenant is that there's a relational thing that God wants. He, wants. he wanted that with Adam and Eve, and he established a pattern there with them. He wanted it with Abraham, and he called him out and said, if you'll obey me, I will do these things, right? And then when Abraham was obedient in that covenant through... Uh, Moses, he get my guys right. Noah and Moses get mixed up in my head. Moses, <laughs> Moses then was was given a, co a covenant for the people that he had created through the through the uh, Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, he created a covenant. We call it the Abrahamic covenant, right? And that's a covenant of grace. And he simply believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So Galatians three is your. Uh, commentary, your New Testament commentary on what happened with Abraham, just so you know that. And then he came along and once he created that nation that he had promised to Abraham, now he made another covenant, a distinctive covenant, a different covenant. This one, as Kathleen said, is conditional. What was Israel supposed to do in this covenant? What was the conditional part? Obey 
Obey him and what would God do? Bless him and disobey and he would curse him. Now, why do you think he did that? Just because he wants his own way? Right, because the whole purpose for the nation was that they were to be his servant, his his tool, his um, witness. They were to proclaim the glories of who God is so that the whole world, not just them, the whole world would come to know who he is. And therefore, out of reverence and respect, out of love and gratitude, then they would turn to God and worship and obey him. So when they wouldn't do that, then what happens to that nation who is called by his name? Yeah, they had to be dispersed because they were profaning God's holy name to the world. They were saying, we belong to God. Watch us sin. We can sin better than you. Look what we're going to do. We're going to bring... Uh, false gods into the very tabernacle of God and set them up and worship them there. Remember how they, was it Tammuz that they set up a, a, a statue right at the, at the gate, it said in Ezekiel, of the, of the, the entry into the Holy of Holies or into the entry of the holy place. They set this up and the women were out there and they were crying, it said, for, for Tammuz and for her son, who is a false worship system and so god says you profane my name the world's watching you're called by my name and they're seeing you do this this is not what i want you to to be like for the world so this is kind of backdrop to everything that we're looking at so as we go through daniel god is presenting himself both as sovereign and omniscient and on both sides and the key let's go to chapter 2 verse 20 uh 21 and 22 someone look those up for me And just remind ourselves, this is one of the possible verses for a key word, a key verse for us. And I think it's really probably the best one, in my opinion, just because it's 21 and 22 of chapter two. We can start in 20 just because it kind of starts at the beginning of the sentence. Let's do that. Somebody read 20 through 22. Okay, very good. Now, the interesting thing is I want to, I want to, I noticed in your translation, it says he, he gives um, knowledge to men who have understanding. It really should say, it, it should say it this way, knowledge to men of understanding, meaning they got their wisdom, they got their knowledge because God gave it to them, not because they were already knowledgeable, therefore, you know, God gave them more. So sometimes translations are, it's very important that you work with a really good translation that doesn't confuse you or that you um, make notes to yourself so that you can, you can receive it correctly. What he's saying there is, if a man has knowledge, guess who gave it to him? God did, right? Okay, so... Um, 
it is God's for wisdom and power belong to God. It is he who changes the times and the epics. So he, he is in charge of the way that things unfold in history for mankind. And it says he removes kings and establishes kings. Now, how does that relate to what we've been looking at this week in chapter 10, 11, and 12? They came and went, didn't they? And in Daniel 10, was there any clue in there to us as to how they were coming and winking? <laughs> yes, they did. And that's in chapter 11. But what about in chapter 10? How did you see God's interaction with the rising up and the falling of kings and kingdoms? Did you see anything in there that showed you that actually there is a spiritual realm that's working on behalf of either bringing, holding them back, staying, or even protecting? I th one thing that does say at the opening of 11 that is interesting. Did you see what it says at the opening of 11? Uh, what does it say there? It says, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I rose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Okay, so this is interesting. In the first year is that correct yeah. in the first year of, okay. of Darius yeah you have to go way back in history but what it tells you is when that nation began this man in linen arose to be a protection and an encouragement for him what does that tell you so it was a man well pardon one like a man. Okay, that's fine. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna quibble over how you have interpreted. And, and there's a big debate on this. I am gonna teach you from the perspective how I have come to receive this information, how I see it, and I'll explain to you my reasonings. But there is debate on it, and very good, very godly men that I respect, and women that I respect, see this could be a variety of peoples, and that it could be. Ain't simply angels, and we're going to talk about that. But for the moment, what I'm going to say, though, is whoever this one is, whether it's the man in linen or whether it's just a general angel in, on the whole, whoever that angel is, this one like a man is, is saying to them what? I arose to be his protection and his encouragement. Actually, it's a, it's a man. Yes. One like a man, a certain a certain man. Yeah, okay. Distinction, right? Okay, let's just dive into this. Let's just dive into this certain man. Let's look at this vision to start with. And then we're going to go into the certain man, the certain man in linen. And then what we're going to do is look also at some of the, the concepts of the subject of spiritual warfare, because you did see that that became a huge subject, right? So uh, we had spiritual warfare. We have the subjects of the man in linen. We have the vision itself. Um, oh, boy, I, I know I did a lot of lists. What else did we do? Oh, by the way, when we're done with this, don't let me forget to tell you. I did this many, many moons ago. I don't remember. I think it might even be the last one. But if I'll get up kind of close so they can see what I've got going here. I went through every chapter and noted every reference to spiritual beings being present and what was going on with them what they did and so forth and i just made notes of them 
And that helped me a lot too, to see on the whole what's going on in Daniel concerning spiritual beings and how they're playing a part in what God is doing. What's going on in the spiritual realm actually is quite profound in the book of Daniel, which is unique to most books. There's not quite this much exposure of the heavenly uh, uh, realm to us in anywhere in scripture. There's often just one note or one little word in passing as you go through on a totally different subject and we never stop to really look at it but daniel is loaded you could stop at the end of when we finish up at the end of daniel we could stop and go back and do a whole study just on the spiritual appearances and who they might be and how we see them interacting once you've got daniel done and you've got a full understanding of what was going on and the author's purpose there was to show that god raises kings up and puts them down and he knows what's in the future right so he's it's there's this balance then that he's in control of it he's orchestrating things on the on planet earth for mankind's purposes for his purpose for mankind let me put it that way because he has a design purpose what he wants to accomplish there so that would be a fun study to do after the fact and we're going to just kind of barely tap into it here and the sad thing is i think is honestly if we had gone back and done this in a homework session for a week um maybe even earlier maybe at the beginning of seven or something even gone back and said what did you see in the first six chapters concerning uh, uh supernatural appearances even the handwriting on the wall remember so then you would get a, a better picture of what's going on in the spiritual realm of things here for us and i think it would give you a better balance of what's going on now but okay so let's go back then and let's just start with the vision because i want to nail down what you saw about this vision first because i think that's the foundation that we need to build first and foremost okay now um when was the vision let's start there okay third year of cyrus okay and who is cyrus he's king of persia okay that's in 10.1 so it opens telling you the win the win factor which is really interesting because it tells you that in in the opening of 10 but then in the opening of 11 it says and in the first year of darius i did what i arose to be a protection and an encouragement or an, i can't remember which order that was in encouragement and a protection okay so uh cyrus this is when the vision comes um what was daniel doing who i guess i should ask the question differently who had the vision <laughs> Daniel had the vision. Okay. And what brought this vision on? He, it says Daniel was mourning. Now, how did it describe his mourning? Okay. Mourning. And it was for three weeks. Now, did anybody do any research on what that three-week period was about or when it possibly was or why he why he was where he was at uh, well I, i'm 
just in commentary work at the end, after you've done your homework at the end, you could have done a little bit. Here, here's the one thing I said, they, somebody said it was in a certain month and it was in the month when there was one of the feasts that was taking place. Um, Nissan, right? Passover, right. Okay, so it was the time of Passover. He was out there because he has no temple and he has no way to make sacrifices as they had been before. So what he was doing is he went to the river, which by the way, in scripture, you see that a lot where on the, on the Lord's day, they would go to the river <laughs> because there's something about the flowing river that makes them feel uh, uh, as a place of worship. It's a considered a place of worship for them in the Old Testament and in the New. Uh, so there's Daniel again by the river. And this uh, week of fasting and mourning, where it's an abstinence, not of total abstinence from food, but restricted food, right? Restricted the, the things that he can take in. What was he allowed to? Yeah, the, the tasty things. Right. Do you remember how Daniel opened up? The book of Daniel opened in chapter one. That's it. So, so probably what we're talking about is he wasn't eating of the meats. He wasn't drinking of the wines. It talked about no ointment on his skin, right? But that he was simply basically eat water and vegetables, probably fruits and vegetables. So Daniel has gone back to this place of fruits and vegetables. This feet. Thank you, honey. The, the feast, the feast week was supposed to be for one week. And how long did he feast for? How long did he fast for? Three. So could there be something symbolic in that? Do you think there's um, a message for us? It sounds like he started his fasting before he hit the Passover time because it says on the 24th day of the first month. Passover is on the 14th day of the first month. So yeah. He started it before Passover and then it sounded like he feasted beyond it. Beyond. So, so that in the end, so what was required was one, but what did he do? Three. What is the symbolic gesture of three of anything ever? Yes. And what is three? in the biblical realm of things father son holy spirit it's a it's a number of completeness right a fulfillment or fullness so it's very interesting to me that it was for three weeks um not that that's anything profound but just that it's interesting that he did it for a full three weeks and he said it for the entire three weeks. I mean, he was careful to make sure that we understood it wasn't almost three weeks he was a it was three whole weeks so it was almost like there was a deliberateness to it there on his part to some degree but also what is it then that ended his fasting who appeared a vision right he had a vision okay so let's look at daniel's vision Daniel's vision. And to me, that's important that he stayed in prayer and fasting until until God answered. Yes. Yeah. He went into that because he had a great desire to understand. What do you think he was wanting to understand? Those previous visions thus far. On the whole, what are those previous visions about? Explain if you, if I were have never done uh Daniel before I'm just your friend hanging out with you at the coffee shop well what's Daniel's all about what's what's going on with Daniel bless you, bless you. The changing of the kings and kingdoms. okay 
Okay, through time. So it's kind of a historical record of, well, like those visions that were given to us, one was a statue and one were beasts, but what, what were those representative of? Kingdoms that would come and go. And there seems to be a sequential order that's given to us, right? Okay. Um, And chapter nine, he had just had a vision about those 70 weeks, right? And what was the emphasis uh, to all of it? What is the reason to tell us about these kings and kingdoms? Just so we know that because kings and kingdoms. So do you think God's purpose is just to tell man about uh, history that's going to unfold? Or is it to give them hope for something? A coming kingdom. And where is Israel at the time of these visions? They're in their captivity. So how would these visions have encouraged someone like Daniel and his friends? There you go. There's hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I've got a plan, Daniel. It's for your nation. It's to give you hope and a future. And what is that future? What is the end conclusion of all these visions so far? What, what happens at the grand finale? There you go. God's everlasting kingdom gets inaugurated. Once the kingdoms of men have come and gone and come and gone and come and gone, then at the end, God says his stone will crush and his stone becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. Whew. Don't you know Daniel's going, yes, thank you, Lord. There is going to be a day of victory for Israel in his mind. But for you and I, it's for all believers, right? As we view it. As, but when, when you're a Daniel and you're living in that day and you're God's people, and he happens to be one of God's people who is actually serious about his relationship, because probably, I'm certain of it, his real covenant is the Abrahamic covenant of faith. He believed God when God said he was going to do certain things. And in particular, he was looking forward to that coming seed, which then in Daniel chapter 9 is brought up. It's that Messiah who Israel is looking forward to their his coming. And God says, and when he comes, these are going to be the things that are going to unfold. So we saw a lot of those in Daniel 9. Okay, so when this vision is described to us in um, chapter 10, what, is, what does it tell us about the vision that, that God gives to him here? In 10.1, what does it tell us? Yes. It's a vision. Um, okay, that is true. Now, it didn't say that in 10.1. It said that actually in 11, right? Is it 10.11? Yeah, okay. Okay, a message of great conflict. Now, why do you think God keeps giving Daniel messages about great conflict? Ladies, you're pregnant. You're going to give birth in nine months. But along the way, there's going to be good days and bad days. You are going to hit a point when you go enter into labor, and it's not going to be fun. But let me tell you what happens at the end of that. Can you kind of make the analogy by thinking of it in that manner? If you're a, if you're a Jew, what God is saying to him about his nation is 
there is going to be great conflict along the way. There are going to be wars. There are going to be um, kings who are despicable, right? Who do horrible things to you, particularly to you who? The Jews, to Israel, to the nation of Israel. Because why? Why do you think they're attacking Israel? Why is Israel always the center of conflict for the world, even yet today? Yeah, because the they, right, the world opposes God and the world looks at them and, and they understand that there is a blessing upon Israel. All you have to do is look at the wars that they've gone through and how miraculously they won them, right? And therefore, then you can look at those things and say, whoa, they have a powerful God that's on their side. Or, or if they're secular, boy, they are lucky. Those people have all the luck. Look at how, I mean, that, that should have never happened. That's just a miracle. Now, they won't attribute the miracle to God's hand, but they will recognize it's a miracle. There's no explainable way to explain Israel even yet today. Back on its land after 2,000 years of having ceased to be a nation, and now they're back for the last 70 plus years. And their capital is what? Jerusalem back to exactly where God said he was going to bring them and so you you can understand then that God has to tell Daniel way back in history look Daniel there is a plan but I want you to know this plan involves great conflicts now for us to come to a full understanding of why all these years of conflict why were they necessary why would God have to allow People, generation after generation after generation, struggle in this way. There you go. Testing. Absolutely testing. Refining. See, this is starting to sound like a verse. Purifying and purging, right? It's process that God has for really every single human being, all of us. Being Jew or not being Jew, God tests and refines, purifies, purges. And I think one of the things we have seen with COVID is the, that kind of purging and refining within our church. And those who truly love the Lord are the ones that are, are, are coming out shining like the stars, right? And those that won't, don't stand firm, won't continue to walk in their faith, what happens? They're purged, right? So if you kind of take that, that concept then and apply it back to Israel because that's what Daniel, the book of Daniel is about, is us witnessing how God is treating the whole world basically through a nation so that they will be an example to us. This is why when, when you talk about Judah and uh, Israel, the north and the south, when they divided as a kingdom, how Judah didn't learn from her sister Israel. And then eventually a hundred years or so later, God came in and had to do to them exactly what he had done to those of the north. But there was a strong rebuke in the scriptures about that, that she had not Abola and Hobola or whatever their names were, those funny names, right? They didn't, she didn't learn from her sister's mistakes. And God is saying to you and I, even today, watch Israel, look at her and learn, learn who am I? What is my plan? Am I, am I capable? If I say it, do I do it? Okay, so this is what we should be learning as we're, as we're struggling through parsing out these pieces. Don't let the pieces of the puzzle overwhelm you, but keep in mind 
the bigger picture, what is the goal? The goal is that God wants you to understand who he is and to come to worship him. And he wants you to understand he's using Israel as his light in the nation, even to this very day. He's still using them. Even when they weren't on their land, it was a light. It was to say, see what happens when you don't obey. See what happens to people who reject me and my word and my ways. They will be abandoned. And although we're only seeing it on a temporal level in this fleshly world, there's an eternal spiritual truth to what God was teaching. All right. So he says to him then, Daniel's vision, it's a vision that is true. I love that. And it's. Ten one, and this is ten twenty one. That way. Backwards. Okay. Is one. Okay, that's okay. Thank you. Yeah. You got it right. <laughs> I had uh, two and one. That's all I had, one in verses one and two. So that was it, one and two. A vision that is true and a vision that is of great conflict. That's one sentence in Thank you. So that's, that's where I actually pulled my answer from. And so, yeah, we'll all get on the same page eventually, as long as we're all together. What I want you to see is in verse one and two, he tells them the, what the message of the vision is all about. And I tell you what, if you just get that much, in your head, then move on to chapter 11 and you'll, you'll be in better shape already right from the beginning. You just understand it's about conflict, right? And that it's true. So if these facts are true, then you can rest in that. Now, he says then in his vision, what was the vision that was presented to him? What did he see? Yeah, he said, um, I lifted my eyes in verse five. I lifted my eyes. What does that tell you? Where's this guy coming from? The heavenlies. I lifted my eyes. I looked and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. So what the what is the vision? It's of a certain man dressed in linen. Now, I'm just going to put a little puffy cloud around that because that's what he saw. That was the vision this time. It wasn't four beasts coming up out of the sea. It wasn't a statue, right? Um, the last vision we had was uh, given to us mostly just in word form. It doesn't tell us what he saw, but it was more about a communication that was given to him in that vision, right? So in this one, though, again, it's mostly... He doesn't see before him the wars, but what he sees before him is the man in linen who then tells him about these things, right? He says, and my words are true. So now that we know the vision is about a man dressed in linen, that's what he's seeing. What do we see that the vision was about? And we know this man in vision, this man in linen rather, has is giving him a message. Uh, let's just... I'm going to change my color here so that we can see it. So this is the message. What is the message? What did he tell him about 
on the whole, well, the first thing I want you to note is where we see at the beginning of his conversation, he says, um, first of all, he, he declares to Daniel about Daniel, Daniel, you're a man of what? High esteem. Boy, I want that one. I know. Cool. It's a, such a cool thing. Gosh, you're highly esteemed. What does that mean? Esteemed. Respected. Honored. That he has integrity. If he's esteemed, he's valued. If you esteem something, you value it. You love it, of course, but that's slightly different nuance to it. But valuable. That's really cool if you're thinking about a, a message about servants to God, people who were to be his servant, those who were the sons of Judah who were to throw praises to God, right? This is one who does that. He's valued. He's highly esteemed because he is, he is functioning in the capacity for which God created him. And so he's valued for that reason. Okay, then he says in verse uh, 12, let's go up to 12. He said to me, um, do not be afraid, Daniel. So the first thing this man in linen does is he comforts him. He gives him um, a calming sense. Don't You don't need to fret about this. I know that what you're seeing and what I'm showing you might be frightening, but I want you to not be afraid. How often do we see that in scripture? How often did God, Christ on his earthly ministry say that to his disciples? Fear not, right? Do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God. What is this? That's, there's a word there, this. He says, you set your heart on understanding this. This what? previous visions, all this history that God is giving him about kings and kingdoms and about God's coming kingdom. So in, he's speaking about in totality of all these years previous that he's had with Daniel, even with Nebuchadnezzar and that Daniel has interpreted for him. These kingdoms that he has revealed to him and the struggles and the battles and the, the people and the event. I mean, there's a lot, right? If you, if you go back starting in Daniel 2 and look at all the visions that have taken place and accumulate all that information together, it's a big load of information, right? And so Daniel is pondering back on all these things he's already experienced and been told through these visions, and he's really wanting to understand it. He... I think he kind of grasps it on a certain level, but there are details in there. He wants more. I think that's where you and I are today. Okay, we get the big picture, God. But who's this? Who's that she right there? <laughs> right? Or who's that he right there? Why did he do that, right? So that's, I think, what Daniel was doing. He's like, okay, I get the big picture. Who's she? <laughs> right? All right, so here we go. Then he said, do not be afraid. Um, he said, he said I, you've set your heart on understanding this, all these things that I've shown you so far, and on humbling yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But, now, if you didn't circle it and mark it and highlight it, circle that but right there, because that tells you it's a continuation to what he's just said to him. You have set your heart on this, but, and, well, actually, it's not that you set your heart on it. 
I heard you from the very first part of your words. I heard you from the very beginning. But now, why would he give him this? The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now, why in the world would, would this man in linen tell him about this? Where are these activities taking place? Where did this man come from? the spiritual realm so he's what is he telling him about here what did he tell him he told him what yes he told him about spiritual of warfare right in the heavenlies okay that's the that's the first thing he told him about now, we can go into detail and, and kind of break all that down. He says to him, presently, right now, I am fighting against the prince of Persia. Now, we can try to parse that out, but if you know it's a spiritual realm battle and he's fighting against the Persians in this regard, the Persian spiritual realm, he's saying up in verse one, the third year of King of Cyrus. So it's only in the third year of this reign. We know this reign is gonna go on for a period of time. I can't, I wrote it down somewhere like a hundred years or something like that, right? Or several hundred maybe, can't remember now. Hold on, I think I've got it on page. Um, well, it's three something and I think it goes until five or something like that, right? What is the, I got to find my chart. Hold on. I'll do this better. I know I'm leaving this too vaguely for you. I have a, where's your timeline chart? Do you guys have it? Do you have dates on there? When does uh, Persia end and, no, here's mine. Okay. I did this last night because I got a little bit confused on it. Let me just tell you something. You can mark it on your timeline chart. So if you have this timeline chart that we did a long time ago, this would be in your appendix, page 125. Okay. Do you remember this one? Okay. The first part of it you were supposed to mark out, and I had told you, well, I even color code mine just so that I can see it better when one starts and when one ends. The one that's not on this chart is Greece. I added it. Do you see how I add a little strip of orange on there? And I don't have any details on it, but I did added on to mine just because I needed, I need the perspective, right? So Babylon was from 605 to 539 approximately, right? So put that in on your map. So I wrote it in here. I just penciled it in right here underneath where my, I had written Babylon that I wrote the years here, okay? Then Medo-Persia is 539 to 333. So how many years is that? 200? something years, right? 333. Mm -hmm. 333 is when it ends. Greece is from 333 to 129. Now, I didn't go to Rome, but I got to Greece, okay? So that'll help you see. Now, so if this is the third year of Cyrus's reign and, and Medo-Persia is going to last for 200 years, and yet already we see this man in linen doing what? Fighting against Persia. 
and yet in 11.1, it said about, about that same kingdom, the Medes, right, that he had done what? Arose to be a encouragement and a protection for them. Hmm. So how might you work that out in your thinking about what's going on here? When he says, I'm fighting against them, obviously, he's not destroying them. But could he? Absolutely, he has the power. Who has the power here? God's angels or God himself, right? And God will do exactly what God wants. According to Daniel 2, he raises up kings, he puts them down. And according to everything else we've looked at as another key subject in here, appointed times, appointed times, appointed times, right? At the determined time. So if we know all that in our backdrop, then we look at this and we say, no, wait a minute. At the beginning, he was there to defend them. Now it seems like he's fighting against them, and yet they're going to have 200 more years. So what is that talking about? I was fighting against him. And he says for 21 years, or for 21 days, rather, because Daniel had prayed for 21 days. So what do you think is going on there? Fighting obviously doesn't mean to destroy, because they're going to have 200 more years yet. Well, battling back with like the demons and stuff overhead, that might be our keeping, that are trying to take over. Very good. Locking, so it's like, I don't know, demons, however you want to look at it. Spiritual demons, bad angels, whatever. The bad angels, the good angels, they're battling. They're fighting and you know, I can't get through here because they're, they're keep whacking me and I have to keep whacking right. them back. So what does that tell you about, even today, about what's going on in the heavenly realm concerning um, our kingdoms that are yet standing today? There, yeah. Well, that's right. You only see the demons. See, and I see the spiritual warfare of the good. That's right. Whoever this man in linen is, he has an active role in the participation of this, right? And when he speaks about this being the angels, the host of heaven are the ones who are engaging in this battle, right? Have we seen anything previous to this about there being a commander of the host? Oh, yeah. Back in chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Someone go back and look at that. Now, in that case, he's speaking there about the host and it's the Jewish people, right? So now how do we reconcile that? Did anybody ever do a, a word study on the word host and what that meant? Yes, we did. What was it? There you go. Yes. Well, kind of, I think that covers it. It can be people or angels. So there's hosts. And hosts, simply in translation, is armies, right? And, and I, can, I will add one more in there. There's also Christians in the present age. Now, we weren't there in the time that this was written, but today there are. So what we can say, and I, I did this really cool thing. I found a song to cover this. Oh, I'm not going to sing, so don't worry. <laughs> Because I cannot sing. If I could, I would. But somebody in here can. Onward, Christian soldiers. Right? Yes. There you go. <laughs> I'm so glad you're singing and not me. Okay. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle. See his banners go. Now, this thing goes on and on about... Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host will fall or doth fall, flee, it says. 
from then Christian soldiers on to victory. On then Christian soldiers on to victory. I can't read my own. Okay. So it talks about us like a mighty army moves the church of God, right? Talks about in the next stanza, kingdoms, nations, empires in destruction rolled, it says. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ, Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. Glory, laud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Now, if you, if you don't think there's a host among the Christian church, let me read a few verses here for you. Here's one in 2 Timothy 2.3. Suffer with me hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. Who enlisted us? Who enlisted us to be a soldier? God, Christ, right? Um, he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking everything captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, this is interesting because the Christian soldier is not one that like Israel actually put war, war uh, garb on and went out with a sword and slayed its enemies. However, why did God have Israel doing that? What's Israel's purpose? To show the world who God is. And when, he, when they put their warrior outfits on, they went out to battle on the field how did that bring God glory? How did it bring God glory in 1948 when Israel reestablished itself as a nation and they were this big? Because he, he fought the battle for them. If you are fighting for God, you win. When you're on God's side, when you're doing it his way, when you're being in obedience to him, that's the whole picture in this so you look at the wars that went on with Israel and everything that we're seeing here even what God is simply saying is when you are for me nothing can prevail over you there you go say that say it again Cliff who can be against me back into Romans right Yes. Right. They never even went into battle. They didn't lift the sword. That happened on more than one occasion where God simply took, took the battle for them. They, they slayed themselves in the darkness. They got confused and killed themselves. <laughs> so, so what God tells us is in Ephesians 6, then you and I as Christians, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God, right? And he goes on. So we are soldiers, right? Okay. Now that you have that set in your mind, you go back and you look at this warfare that's going on in the heavenlies and Daniel's message here. He says in these verses here, he told him of warfare that was going on in the heavenlies. Why is that profound? 
presently he's fighting against the prince of Persia, but before he had arose to be a protection for them. Now he's fighting against them, but they've got 200 years to go. So that warfare is not a warfare to destroy them, but to do what? Keep them in balance, not to go too far, not to go beyond the power that God wants to allow them to have. Uh huh. I looked at it as different. Like he's fighting against the principalities or the demons or whatever, but he's there as protection for the human people. Like Osiris is a top tier leader also. Well, that's true too. In a way, that works. Maybe like protecting you. Right. Yes. Yes. It's, I think you and I are actually okay. saying the same thing. It, it is a, it, it, what it's showing us is there's a spiritual battle that keeps things in the, in the correct, correct perspective that God wants. He doesn't allow any one man or any one nation to gain too much power. He also protects his own, for instance, Daniel and the three men. So in fact, what happened when the three men were thrown into the fire and should have been immediately killed? Who showed up? Who showed up? A fourth man. What did Nebuchadnezzar say he looked like? One who looks like the son of, a, of gods. I mean, he didn't understand the son of God. Nobody really did in those days yet, right? They knew of the Messiah that was coming. But what he did do was recognize whoever was in that fire with him had something to do with God. It looked like a son of the gods. Oh, you know, it was a, you had to be a spiritual enlightening that God, well, you know, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar coming into faith at one point, he finally is humbled, right? But little by little, isn't that how God brings us in? Usually he enlightens us on little pieces of truth and reveals himself to us little by little. Often we come in gradually. It isn't always a one-time event for most people. Abraham was years. Huh? Yes. Yes. And then in two, yes, he, yes, he's already beginning to, and that's where we talked about previously the witness of these sons of Judah, how they were actually throwing the praises of God to those around them. They were put in a very bad situation being punished along with their nation because their nation had failed. But now as sons of Judah, they were honoring God and therefore God was blessing them and they were witnessing to the king and others in the kingdom at that time. So they were, they literally were God's servant. That's why he calls him here, a man of high esteem. You're valued because you're actually doing what I intended for you to be doing as a nation. And you are doing as an individual. Isn't that an awesome thing? Okay. Okay, we got to hurry. Yeah, we're never going to get there. Okay, so he first he told them about the heavenly warfare. He told them, what did he tell them about Greece? The next in the next one. Yeah, he told him Greece is coming. So Daniel had already had those previous dreams. And he saw these beasts arise out of the out of the sea. And now he's understanding those are nations. He just didn't know which ones at that at that first time when he had the visions. But now God's telling him Greece is coming. So we now know the third beast is Greece. Okay. We actually knew that anyway in chapter eight because God interpreted it for us, right? Now, what he also told them in the whole in chapter eleven about what? 
just kind of generically give us a, a totality of what's going on in 11. What does he tell him about? Yeah, there are going to be wars coming that are ahead for for um, the various kings, right? They're going to fight and banter back and forth. And who's at the center of all this fighting? Who keeps getting mentioned throughout all of chapter 11? He calls them the beautiful land or the jewel of their nation. Who, who is that? Who's the beautiful land? The Jews. So because Daniel's interest is Israel and his people and his nation, that's what this whole book's about. And so what God has told him now is this. He told him here about wars that are ahead. So he knows that way. Is it helpful to you if your doctor says now you're really, really sick right now and it's going to take some time and there's going to be a lot of exercises you're going to have to do to get better or you're going to have to take this medicine or we're going to have to do this surgery, but eventually we're going to get there, right? So does it help though if your doctor lets you know there's going to be a struggle along the way as opposed to saying, oh, tomorrow you'll be better and then tomorrow you're not and you're going, right? But by God telling him, look, there are wars ahead for you and your people. There are wars ahead in the world. And these wars, I just want you to be aware of the fact I know about these wars. I know, and now I'm telling you, there are going to be tough times ahead. So we're not, we're not there yet, but I'm just letting you know that there are wars ahead and, and his holy people and his, his city and his people are going to suffer. There's going to be suffering for Israel in the midst of this time. His people and his city, right, will suffer. That's basically what you're seeing in all of chapter 11, right? Okay, I'm not going to go through that because we're going, to, we're going to skip on down to the next thing. What else did he tell him? Well, there's a question posed in chapter 12 about how long, oh Lord, right? So what does he tell him in this? He told him what? Chapter 12, you can go to verse 7. I'll, I'll help you out. <laughs> Give you a little push. There's going to be a time, times, a half a time. And what else is going to happen in that? And? Okay. So what, is what has he told him in this vision uh, in chapter 10, 11, 12? He's telling him these events will be completed. And he gives him an indica some indicators of time, points of reference. Remember before when he said, from the issuing of a decree until Messiah the Prince, it will be. And he gave him the time. And now there's one more week out there lingering. What we now know about that one week is there's a time factor that keeps popping up that's called time times and half a time. And we don't have that totally all ironed out yet, but we do know it also encompasses a full one week. How many is a one week? A period of seven years, right? Because the time, time, and half a times is three and a half years. We've already figured that one out through 42 months and 1,260 days in Revelation. So we now know we have a, a one-week period that's out ahead. And in that one-week period, there's a specific time called time, times, and half a time. And what God is saying, when that's done, it's finished. 
But until that time times and half a time comes and goes, it ain't finished. That's good English, right? Okay. <laughs> so he told them these events um, will be completed seven of, of chapter 12. When? So in that one, he's got, he's got a time frame. Number one, it's the, uh, I'm just going to put it this way, three and a half years are completed when the three and a half years are done. And then number two, when the shattering of the holy people is finished. What, what is the, sh the shattering of the power of the holy people? What might that be talking about? Okay, well, last week we did a timeline and we talked about the prince who is to come and his people would first destroy the city and the sanctuary and that occurred when? 70, 70 AD. And who was the they there? Rome. Rome. And at the end of time, the prince who is to come is, is factored into the seven-year period, the one week. He has something to do with those they, which is Rome, that kingdom, that beast, when they when they are finished shattering the power of the holy people, then it's going to be finished. What does it mean, shattering of the power of the holy people? Well, they, Jerusalem was completely overtaken, destroying the kingdom. Okay. Maybe. What power would be something that God would want to destroy? Pardon? Well, definitely the Antichrist, but in this case, it's the power of the holy people. So it's not about Satan. Thank you. Say that again. Their disobedience. What is it? He's saying, I am going to finish when they, when we, when, when they, when that beast of the end times finishes shattering the power, the disobedience, the rebellion of the holy people, when that is finished, and how is God going to finish it? He's going to do it through that one-week time frame. Now, you might want to build on that and make sure that we get the a fuller picture of that, but I think that's what it's speaking of, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Shattering the power, meaning the resistance and the rebellion, of the holy people okay so let's put that in so when shattering of the power it's not destroying the people it's the power of the holy people and it is the holy people so you gotta and the holy people are and who are the holy people in the context of daniel on the whole the Jews, Israel, the nation, who is right now and is still in rebellion to Jesus Christ as their Savior, who God had promised to them, I will give you a land, a seed, and a nation. New Testament, Galatians 3.16, and that seed is Christ. They are yet rebelling against that. When that is finished, when God finishes that resistance that they're giving to that message that Jesus is the Christ, when he finishes that, what, another verse tells us we're not, it's not in homework this week, but it says, and they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will mourn. And when that day comes, it's finished. He will have finished shattering the power of the holy people. 
Okay, that's in 12.7. I know, did that give you goosebumps or what? <laughs> okay, one more thing he tells him in 12, 12 uh, verse 10. Mm -hmm. So he's giving him hope. Here's the hope. He says, many will be purged, purified, refined. Many will be. Well, that first part isn't sounding so good. Many are going to be purged. I don't like that one. But the purified is not bad. Right? And being refined is good. Although refining sometimes can uh, hurt <laughs> a little bit, right? And then he contrasts that with the but. But what's going to happen? But? Ah, so the contrast is whatever this purging, purifying, and refining is, it doesn't matter what God does. There's still going to be some who will, who will still re resist. But, so there's our but. Put your contrast there. The wicked will act wickedly. Yep. Yep. One last told. What did he tell him concerning the message in eleven two? First, and now I will tell you the truth. So he was told him the truth. Wow, that's good stuff, guys. Okay, so here's what we know the vision is about. Greece is coming. Um, there are wars ahead for your people, and your people are going to suffer. Um, this time will end. All this suffering will end. All these wars will end when that three and a half years that are decreed by God are completed, and when the shattering of the power of the holy people is done. Those two things are simultaneous. And he said to him, he also told him, I just want you to know, many will be pur purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will still go on acting wickedly. Don't be surprised about that. And he also tells him, but. yeah, <laughs> but he says at the closing concerning Daniel, Daniel, close up this book, go on your way. What's going to happen? And what's Daniel, what's going to happen to Daniel? He will enter and he will rise again. He's there. It's a resurrection statement. Isn't that cool? He told him the truth and he told him. Twelve, thirteen. You will rise again. Isn't that exciting? Don't you worry, Daniel. Your soul is safe in my hand and in my keeping. You will be rewarded. You keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, and understand this. In our world, there's going to be wars and tri tribulations and trials. And your people, specifically Israel, will have a lot of hardship. There's going to be a lot of war. There's going to be a lot of people coming against them. But I'm allowing it because ultimately what I want to do is refine, purify, and purge. I want to bring people into faith. And at the end of the age, when God finishes all these things, when they're done, it will happen. And Romans says, and all Israel shall be saved. Who's all Israel? 
all Israel who will lift their eyes and confess Christ is the, is the seed that was to come. It won't be the ones who don't. Any of those who don't, what's going to happen to them? Purged. Yes, sad. Okay, now, how much time have I got? I got about 30 minutes. Okay, we did pretty good. I zipped through that. Um, you know what? I hadn't pondered on that one. Um, you know, we see him do that actually through here. We also see him switch languages too. Um, I think, I think in some ways he, he could have been dictating someone and he could, and he could have been for the purpose of identifying who was having the vision. He had to say, you know, I, Daniel, or he had to say a message was revealed to Daniel. I mean, actually, verse one is really distinct. I don't know if you took a look at that. How is verse one related to what follows it? Yes, 10. Yes, it's a little summer because right at, he understood it. That's what caught my attention. He understood it. But later he says, I didn't understand. But what had to happen through the course of all of it? He had to been told. There had to be explanation given. And we see what, what he was told here. Isn't that a nice little list? Isn't that cool? That's very concise. I liked that list. And when I was done with it, I went, thank you, Lord. You're so good to me. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Certain man dressed in linen. Let's talk about this fella because this is a tough one. And it's very controversial. And all I'm going to do is guide you in the way that I went. And if you, if you have gone by the way of believing that this, uh, this is speaking of just an angel, it's fine with me if you believe that. It's okay. The end result is still the same. The angel accomplishes everything that he has said in there. It's still a messenger from God, whoever he is, right? Um, but I felt like um, it was pretty blatant to me who he was. And even when you see these sections in here about spiritual warfare, remember what we talked about a minute ago is why is he bringing up the fact that he's fighting against Persia in, in, in the third year, but in the first year he was supporting them, and yet they've got 200 more years to go. What does that tell you about that kind of warfare? Is it a warfare to destroy them in the moment? What does it tell you about that kind of warfare? It's going to be going on, on the, in the heavenly realms for a long period of time. In other words, there's always spiritual warfare going on in the heavenlies for every kingdom that rises up and comes down. And God, and at the close of it, he says, and, and Greece is coming. But he tells him 200 years before it happens. So this, this idea that in chapter 10, that it sounded, it, it's the impression that some people want to take from it is this man in linen can't. And he's so helpless, he has to have helpers. That's kind of, well, Michael had to come help him. No, that's, how might you also interpret that? How might be another way of interpreting that? He's got a different job he had to do, but he couldn't just leave Persia, you know, without somebody fighting back. So he's like, come down here, please. And I said, Michael, down now, I got to go do this other job. Yeah. And Mike. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you know what's really cool about this? Who is Michael in chapter 12, verse 1? 
He's the one who watches over Israel. He is there. Now, if he has that assigned position, who assigned him that? God. And if I assigned you a job, what do I anticipate is going to happen? You're going to do it. And that you're, And if I'm God, I'm not, but if I'm God, I'm going to say to, to Cliff, Cliff, I'm giving you the job of X, Y, Z. And not only that, but because I'm God, I'm, I'm empowering you to be able to do that. I'm, I'm going to give you the authority to be able to do that. And, okay. And in this unflowing, uh, unfolding, yes, he's a chief prince. He's, a, he's in the highest of the ranks of the rank. Okay, so he's high in rank. He's strong. He's powerful. He's more than capable. And God gave him that role to watch over Israel. And yet this man in linen is there and he's withstanding them. So it sounds like he is also engaging in this warfare. And yet he didn't leave until Michael came. But what is that positionally? Where does that put the man in linen? Above Michael. Hmm. That is pretty clear. Yeah. Okay. Now with all those in your little heads, let's move on. Let's talk about the certain man. Okay. All right. So we've got, he, he's called a certain man. Did anybody look those up? Did you look up a certain, what that meant? Okay. I'm going to give it to you. It's number uh, 259. And what and what it literally means, since you didn't look it up, I'll just tell you what it literally means is one man. So it's, it's, it's distinguishing him. It's setting him apart. It's highlighting him. And how do we know it's really highlighting him? How do you know that when it says a certain one, how does the, the text then reveal to you that they're being real specific about this certain one? Yeah. All the, does Michael get that kind of description? Did Gabriel get that much description? So if you put that much, number one, the vision is him. Oh, yeah. Back in chapter seven. Yeah. What about the what about the Revelation chapter one cross reference? Remember, scripture is to interpret scripture, right? Is Revelation a companion book to Daniel? Is it comparing apples to apples? Yes, we've already determined that. So when John has his vision, he also sees one who's dressed in a robe reaching to his feet. So when this one identifies him as a certain one, literally what it means is this, literally one man. It's, it's, it's like setting him, yes, it singles him out. It distinguishes him as unique being and in the definitions the only one is one of the definitions so let's write that up here it's a certain man it's literally it means one man so it's actually a numerical term certain it's a it's a one two three four five he's one <laughs> i am the first and the last right okay it's one man um, it, so it singles him out. All right. So that's the first thing we do. He's a certain man. Um, all lots of description. Let's cover it. Let's cover the description on him real quick. Okay. His 
I'm going to put his body as a title. And you said he is dressed in linen. What is that about? Anybody look it up? There you go. There, there are two things, or, or could be three, now that you mentioned that. <laughs> I didn't cover that one. Three possibilities on the, on the linen. When we see people dressed in linen in scripture, number one, it, it can be angels. So it can be an angel. It can also be the priest. The priesthood of, that God established in his temple was uh, ephods of fine linen, right? And also we see in scripture later in Revelation 19, the saints are dressed also all in white. And it's speaking of the linen, the fine linen of the saints, right? Or it's the righteous works of the saints also. Uh, so we see um, description, it distinguishes him, it sets him apart, singles him out, it puts him above Michael and Gabriel. And those are the two that we know by name that are extremely powerful, extremely valuable in the work of God. They are given extraordinary works of responsibility that are distinguished in a way, in such a way that we even get their names. And the other angels, no names are ever given to us, right? Okay. And then, uh-huh. That's what Hebrews says about Yes. Above all the principalities and powers. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the priests wore linen, vestments, caps, breeches, turbans, tunics. You might want to look at Leviticus 16.4 just to kind of look at that. Also, uh, angels appear in that way. You see this in Ezekiel 9, 2, and 3, also in 10. Okay. Let's go on about the rest of his body. He's dressed in linen, which tells us it could be uh, the, the dress or the garments of the high priest or a holy one. So linen would be, um, I'm not going to describe it up there. You look it up, get your definition, put it under there because it gives you an, a, 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 a palette of things to kind of work off of. Well, it could be an angel. It could be, it could be royal. It could, and it could be Christ himself. Right. Okay. So now, because he's the, he is the high priest, right? Okay. I wanted to make that connection because it's the garment of priest of the priesthood and Jesus is our great high priest. Okay. So now his body in 10, six, let's go through that. Okay. Uh, okay. Girded with belt of gold. And then it goes on to describe the gold as that of the fine gold of Ufa. Um, did anybody look at that one? Okay. There you go. Famous. That's all you really need to know is that it's such fine gold that it became a famous gold. When, if you ever lived in South Dakota, there's the Black Hills gold, famous, right? If you lived in Turkey, like I did, they're 18 karat gold with this beautiful, deep, almost a rose color to it. Also like the Black Hills gold because it has a, a higher alloy of uh, copper in it. Um, but each place has its own idea, but some are more valued than others. Right. If you're if you're into jewelry, you would know what they are. And I don't. But 
So that tells you what I know. Okay, so girded with a belt of gold. What else? There you go. A precious gem. This was. Yes, but but what's more important than the color is that it's precious. It's a precious gem. It's a highly valued gem. His gold belt is what is of high value, right? Um, what what do we see about his eyes and his feet? Okay, face. Uh, appearance of light lightning. Okay. Eyes. Flaming torches. Uh, arms and feet. What is that about? Maybe. But what, what is polished bronze about? Did y'all do word study? Okay, do a word study. Okay, polished bronze. Um, his words, this was cool. It even described how his words were. Words like a tumult. What is that? A roar. It's actually like a like flooding waters. Have you ever been near a river that's really rushing hard and that's so powerful? Or even a water dam that falls down. That's a tumult. You cannot hear anything. It's it's deafening. Can you, is it no wonder when when um, Daniel heard his words? He just passed out, face to the ground. That's called a face plant. That's exactly what he did. Where's like atonement? Okay. Uh, so it's a loud roar of a multitude. Now that's interesting. This man in linen had a voice that was like a loud roar of a multitude. That's just impressive. And then other words. Now I went on to, as I marked this I went on to identify him through some of the other qualifiers in here there's when an angel is mentioned he's called an angel or he's called Michael or he's called Gabriel but through this text he keeps getting qualified the qualifier marks for him are what his humanness his hands his touch his um, he, he resembled a human being. He had human appearance. Okay. So it's not to say that sometimes other angels don't also have some things like that said about them. I'm not saying that, but you have to look at the totality of what's being said here. Now, our cross reference is in Revelations. In that one, I'm just going to read it to, in order to, you know, move us along here. But in Revelation 1, 13 to 18, John sees a vision also. It, God's about to give him this vision of exactly these things that Daniel is talking about here. Um, and he says, he sees 
uh, this man, Jesus, in the midst of the lampstands. And the lampstands are representative in that place of the churches of God at that time. There's seven of them specifically that are mentioned. We're going to get into that when we get into Revelation. You're going to love it. It says, in the midst of it is where he is seen, implying that Christ's continual presence and ceaseless activity in the midst of his people on earth. It, it just shows that he is actively involved. Well, in Daniel, he's actively involved. How? In the heavenlies as the commander of the host, right? He's, he's engaged in spiritual battle. Here in Revelation, we see him engaged in also spiritual battle, but it's in the, in, amongst the churches. So again, we are host Christian soldiers right? And in the midst of us also in this book. Now here he says, and I saw one like a son of man, okay? Clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet. Does that sound familiar? Girded across his chest with a golden sash. Okay, there we go. Hair like white wool, eyes like a flame of fire. Same, same phrasing. Feet like burnished bronze. Oops, same one again. Voice like the sound of many waters. Okay, now wait a minute. We've gone far enough at this point, don't you think? That if this is not the same one, he sure does have a twin somewhere. <laughs> right? Same subject matter, same end time visions, two different visions, two different men, two different times in history, but seeing the same thing. And qualifiers identifying marks of him are identical. No lengthy list on any other angel. But this one gets it. And not only that, but this angel, this appearance of this man in linen is Daniel's vision. You know, when, when I read this this week, I, I didn't go on, but, but verse 17 says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. There you go. I was going to cover that next. That's exactly good. Yes, yes. Verse 16. He fell at his feet like a dead man. Does that sound familiar? How did Daniel respond? I was going to put Daniel's response. Let's put this up here. He, he fell, it says, um, he was left with no strength. And also it says he fell into a deep sleep with his face to the ground. Can I just write face plant? <laughs> because I'm trying to shorten the words. <laughs> okay, that's in verse um, eight. And this is verse nine, okay? So that's Daniel's response. And John's response, uh, Kathy, was what? Okay. Right. So interesting there is the, the response of the one like a son of man in, in Revelation, his response to Daniel's fear and falling faint and dead like a dead man is that he touches him to strengthen him, right? What was what was the man in Linden's response to Daniel? Okay, he, he, a hand touched me. Whose hand do you think it is? Yeah. Now, and set him on his feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or set him on his knees and hands and knees, right? Well, and then it says, and stand upright. 
later he tells him that because once he gives him that much strength, how many times does he touch him? He touched him again, right? It says in, t- in 18, and again he touched him, right? Okay, so let's put 10 and 18 here about the touching. It's exactly what uh, happened in, in Revelation for John. This man placed his right hand on John and he said to him what? In verse 17 of Revelation 1, do not be afraid. What did this man in linen tell uh, Daniel when he touched him in verse 19? <laughs> do not be afraid. Okay, I don't know about you, but for me, I came to see there is continuity in this. There are not three and four different angels popping in and out. To me, it looks like it's a vision about a man, a man dressed in linen. He's um. Well, you tell me why he might be vague. What was promised to Israel's nation? A seed. And they understood that seed was Christ because in Galatians 3, it tells us Daniel, that God preached the gospel to Dan, to um, Abraham. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And the seed that he was promised, he understood was the Christ, the Messiah to come, right? So here we are though, back in history, Messiah has not yet come. They are looking for Messiah the Prince. We've seen him come up in Daniel 9, but he's not here yet. So he's really kind of clueless yet about this one who is to come. Well, I think Daniel does know who it is. I think he understands clearly who it is, but because he has no name yet to be called by Jesus, he knows him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. That's what he knows. And he knows him as son of man. And he knows him as the coming seed. And he knows him as Messiah. But he doesn't have any other experience with him yet. Okay, does that make sense? So from his perspective, he's still a little bit on the dark, in the dark. Oh, boy, do we have so much. No wonder Daniel tells us at the end, those who have insight, will, that we will gain insight. Knowledge will increase. It has increased for us, has it not? We have so much better understanding. When we get into chapter 11, it's not going to be as hard as you think it is, even though the pronouns are tough to mark out. But if you know your history, they're not. And, and I'm going to help you with that. Um, Kay, many years ago, she doesn't do it anymore, but many years ago, so I'm going to keep on using it. She gave uh, a a commentary write-up about what was going on. And I used that commentary and I went in and wrote my own. um, Let me just show it to you what I did. If I've got it here. Mm, Must be here. Yeah. We didn't understand a lot of what we now see. Yes. No kidding. I don't I can't find it. I can't find it. I it's it's not in here at the moment. I don't know what I did with it. I thought I had it out here handy. I will have it for you though when it's time. And I will have Kristen send it out. I have one comment just want to go with the question. Yes. Because I don't think the purpose was not to identify who this was. The purpose of this person coming, you know, was to say, Oh, all of this. And so when Daniel's writing it, it's not about spending time saying who this 
No, actually, he was the messenger. Oh, and that was something else I wanted to bring up, too, because, let me see here, it is. Uh, that, that's not it. Oh, it's, it's on part two, which we aren't going to really get to, so I'm going to just read it to you real quick. Being sent by the Father, do you remember in there, there's another question that kind of creeps in your mind about, well, why does he have to be sent? And if, he's, if he is, in fact, Jesus, if that is a pre-incarnate appearance of him, why does he have to be sent? Doesn't he have the authority to just go, right? Okay, there's that. Absolutely. And have you never seen anywhere in the Gospels that Jesus was sent? And that the Father sent him? Let me just read a few verses because it'll help you to solidify that question. Matthew 21, 37. For I have now come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 7, he says, I know him because I am from him and he sent me. <laughs> Therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer, I'm with you and then I will go to him who sent me. In John 8, 28 and 29 and also verse 42, he says, um, so Jesus said, when you, meaning the Jews, lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the father taught me. And he said to me, um, and he sent me, and he who sent me is with me. Sorry. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And then the last one in 42, and Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from the father. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. John 17, 8 and 12, same thing. Uh, he's talking about the, fa the Father has given you them to him, right? And he said and everything that he has, the Father gave to him. So what, what does that tell us about the position or the place or the, the role of, of God the Son? He is at the right hand of God. Is he equal to God? Yes, he is God. Absolutely, he is God. And yet, what does he do in his flesh as a man? He submits to the Father in all things. And he came, it says in uh, Philippians 2, that he put, he, he put off his deity. He, gave, he freely set aside his deity. Not that it disappeared. He walked in the flesh. He was still God. He still had omniscience, all power. He, he could have called the angels down and stopped the whole thing if he had wanted. But what did he do? He submitted to the Father's will because there was a plan set down from before the foundation of the world, right? So I just wanted to kind of give you a few of those because of that issue of him being sent and staying where he's supposed to be while he's doing certain things, it's just showing you the obedience of the Son to the Father and the work of, of spiritual warfare in the heavenlies is being revealed to Daniel. He's saying to Daniel, Daniel, you don't have to worry about these world events that are going on. There's a spiritual battle going on. It will be accomplished as God has said. I am telling you the truth, right? Uh, yes, it was uh, Nisan. In Nisan is the feast of weeks and the Passover and the. There's like three holidays in there, and they're all together. 
right right and he did it for extended time a little bit before and i guess a little bit beyond right i didn't yeah and i didn't focus super hard on getting all that cleared out in my head but yes so with those three weeks were during the time of the passover when jesus would come as the ultimate uh servant of god and be the sacrifice for men and daniel was during that time frame when he only needed to do a week he did three weeks it just shows the intensity of his desire to understand all these things, right? And wanting to know more details and wanting to know some exact points. And God is really saying to Daniel at the close of Daniel 12, what? Go on your way, Daniel. Just close it up and seal it because it's for the end times. And as knowledge increases, as time passes, knowledge will increase. He didn't say it in that way, but that's basically what's meant there. And, and for sure, it has. Because what we can do now is we can look at Daniel 11 and plug in all the names, the covenants that were made, who those kings were. We even know who that despicable king is. And we're going we're gonna to cover that more in detail later. But for you, what's important is that you get um, the bigger picture in your mind so that as you're working with it, you don't get wrapped around the axle on all of it. It's going to get explained. Okay. Um, all right. So we see... Um, I was going to look at the spiritual warfare. We really kind of already covered that. So I don't think we're going to go back and revamp on that. Now, now what we can do, though, is talk about some of the markings real quickly. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the pronouns from, we'll start in verse five we'll we'll just discuss it real quickly and go through 19 because after that i think it becomes clear because when you hit then in his place this person's gonna work as long as you get the first his in there you'll be okay because it's going to talk about a despicable king and i think you'll 11 chapter 11 because that's the one you're all having trouble with right with the yes. pronouns okay so i'm just going to help you out a little tiny bit because you know what i this is how i view my teaching i'm not here to try to trick you up and make you be so frustrated you can't get through the homework right i want you to be able to handle your homework and and feel good about what you're getting done so i don't think it's cheating to give this to you we're going to give it to you later on anyway but you might as well get your pronouns marked correctly okay all right, let's let's start with verse three. It says, "A mighty king will arise," and we're in this talk, and he's already told us the realm of Greece is coming in verse two. So we now know verse three is talking about Alexander the Great. Correct? Okay. So that part I didn't even really have to tell you. You knew it. And and Alexander is covered until uh, through verse four. And it talks about. Um, his kingdom is going to be parceled out to the four winds. We already know about that, right? We've talked about it before briefly. All right, then starting in verse five, it says, then the king of the south, the south of what? What kingdom are we still in? Greek. Greek. So just so you know this, verse five through verse 39 is all about Greece, the kingdom of Greece. Yep. Five through thirty-nine. Yep. Thirty, all the way through thirty-five. I'm sorry, verse thirty-five through thirty-five. I wrote that down wrong on my paper. Five through thirty-five. 
okay? So the king of the south is... Okay, because remember, what he just told us was going to happen to Alexander's kingdom. Oh. It's going to be parceled out to the four winds. Yes. Yes. All of a sudden, lights are on. Ding, 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 right? Now we know that when, when we hit, then the king of the south, the south of what? In the south part of the kingdom of Greece, right? He will grow strong along with one of his princes who will gain ascendancy over him and obtain dominion. His domain will be a great dominion indeed. And so it's talking about the South. Now we're going to go, we'll talk more in detail about what country is that and what are the houses, how it's going to be broken down. We'll get all that later. But for right now, you just need to know that that's speaking of the South. So all of your pronouns in verse five are of the South, one, one color. Verse six, now you're going to break up into two colors starting in verse six. Um, mine is orange and blue. I just want them to be distinctive enough that I can see them on the paper at a glance pretty easily so that I just marked them in two different colors so that I could see the back and forth that's going on between. Yeah, I'm a, co I'm a coordinator girl. You, yes, we are simpatico. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so now what's going to happen is the very first word there is they. After some years in verse 6, they. So that one, guess what? You have to mark it half one color and half the other color. And then put a big circle around it because they are, are both represented there. They are going to do what? Form an alliance. What's an alliance? It's a covenant, right? So you can mark that in the same way you mar have always marked your word covenant. Verse 6, alliance. And there's the they just before it. And that's half and half. Now it goes on and it says south, right? And it says north. So now you know who your two pronouns are. They're the south and the north of Greece because we're the same country, same nation rather. And so then you're going to be, but she will not retain her position. She who? The south. Okay. Uh, nor will he, he the north with his power. So there's two Norths right there. Yes. Daughter of the, the North and Earth. That's how the marriage. Voila, bingo. You got it already figured out. I don't even have to tell you the rest of the story. That's awesome. Now you can find a history book. Who made a, who made a union? Okay. So are you marking the daughter of the king of the South the same as the king of the South? Yes. Because she's representing that kingdom. So all I'm trying to do is keep the south and the north straight. So all we're talking about, in, there's going to be a lot of he's and she's, right? But just mark them as north and south, north and south. Just like the movie. <laughs> okay? Uh, and so he, he, he says, nor will he remain, that's the north, with his power, that's the north. But she, that's the south will be given up along with those who brought her in and the one who sired her. So all the South and he will, and he who supported her in all these times. So he, this is all the South. Okay. Verse seven, you ready? You there? Hold on. I'm going to show this to the ladies here on the screen. Can you see that? Michelle? Is that helpful to see the... 
the different colors? Very helpful. Okay, good. So it, it just helps you to see how I broke it down into north and south, two different colors. I made them very distinct so they're easy to see at a glance, right? Blue and, and orange are very opposite, and so it's, it's quick for me to look at it, okay? All right, now he says, um, but it's okay. It, does, it, does anybody need a clean observation worksheet? <laughs> okay, good. As long as you didn't, it's good. Here's, here's my tip, and I've told you guys this before, but it, I don't know that I've mentioned it in this group. I like to make a photocopy of my observation worksheets before I start on them. I keep my original in the back of my Bible or, or back of my folder, I mean, my binder, and then I work on my photocopy. Okay. And that way, when I totally mess it up on situations like this, which I have done, I've, got, I've already got to redo chapter 10. It's such a mess. I've written so many notes in there now because I was trying to figure out that how I really wanted to reason through that man in linen and whether the hand and the the face and the one who looked like him was all the same thing. And I think it is now, I, now that I see it that way, I want to mark it more clearly. I need to clean it up. So now I, all I have to do, all I have to do is go back and recopy chapter 10 on my, uh, on my printer. And I've got a clean observation worksheet and I start all over, get it marked so that like this one now is nice and clean and tidy, right? So far. Another thing is for those that took annual one, we got all the worksheets for all the chapters, and you got annual two gave you all of them. Oh, that's right. So you actually have another. So, so you're yes. Well, you can, or you can just make a copy of the of the one chapter area that you've got too much markings on, and it's backwards or the colors, and you can't erase them or whatever if you want to fix it. Okay, where are we? Verse seven. Okay, verse seven, but one of the descendants of her line, her is the south, will arise in his place, that's the north, and he, he, he this descendant, so that's the south, will come against their army, the north, and enter the forces of the king of the north, that's simple, <laughs> tells you who it is, uh, and then he, now this he is the south, he will deal with them that king of the north. Yep. I know that one is complicated. You could not have figured that out until you have the names. You did? Oh, you are good. Oh my gosh, Becky is our star. She's our star. Okay, show off. <laughs> okay, very nice. Uh, verse, verse eight. Also, their gods, that's the north, and then you can mark all the theirs if you want to. Um, uh, and, the, uh, and the gold, he will take into captivity. That's going to be the South because it's an aggression of the South against the North and their religious factors. And he will take them captive into where? Egypt. Egypt. Oh, whoops. Now we know who the South is. Who is the South? Egypt. So this are the, these are the kings of Egypt in the days of the Greek empire after Alexander the Great has died and the lands have been parceled out to the north, the south, the east, and the west. The only two we're talking about are the north and the south. Isn't that cool? Yes, the, that's it, the Ptolemies, the Ptolemies. Okay, and then he on his part, those are both the south, 
will refrain from attacking the king of the north, tells you again. All right. All right. And then, then the latter will enter the realm of the king of the south, meaning the north, the latter meaning the north, will enter the king of the south, but will, re, but will return to his own land, the north. Um, he will return to his own land. His is the north. Okay, 10. Yes, it does. Now, what happens in verse 10 is the emphasis switches, where the first verses from 3 through 9 uh, were, well, no, actually 5 to 9. We're talking about the king, mostly talking about the king of the south and how he was kind of the big dog on the scene at the time. Now we're going to start it starting in 10 all the way to 35. It's going to be about this, this uh, king of the north being dominant. You can kind of see that just by the way the color switched almost all blue here at this point. Okay, so his sons, the north, will mobilize and, assemb and assemble a multitude of great forces. One of them will keep on coming and overflow and, pa and pass through, but he, he the north, may gain, may again wage war up to his, that's the south's, very fortress. I bet you can guess the next one in verse 11. Oh, the South. <laughs> the king of the South will be enraged and go forth and fight with the king of the North. Very makes it nice and clear. Now, what do you think it's North and South of? The beautiful land, who is the jewel of, the, of all the things that they possess, right? God perceives it as the jewel. The Jews perceive it as the jewels. And we know they are at the heart of all the messages that are given. The whole reason the message is given, it's all about what God is going to do with Israel because Israel is there, is his light on the hill. And so north and south of Israel. Um, then it says, then the latter, the north, will rise uh, raise a great multitude, but that multitude, that being of the north, will be given into the hand of the former, the south. When the multitude of the north, that's north, is carried away by the south, his heart will be lifted up. He, the south, will cause tens of thousands to fall, and he, the south, will not prevail. Okay, 13. Everybody okay? How y'all doing? Uh, Yoshika, are you handling this okay? Good. And you're doing good thing. Michelle says thumbs up. Yay. Okay. The north. North. And the rest of them are he, the south. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's all going to start. Once you get the correct pronouns in place and you see this battle between these, these two places and how it makes sense too, because Israel being in the middle of them, they keep passing through her and she gets squashed along the way. That's why he tells her there's going to be wars and such that are going to come and, and it's going to attack you. And there's going to be aggression against, um, where did I see it? Uh, wars that are headed and his people, Israel, will suffer. They're going to have suffering because of this aggression that's going on, this power struggle in Greece between these two kings who are actually king of one nation. It's kind of like our, our um, Congress, the House and the 
and the Senate, and they're, you know, they battle against what, that's kind of what's going on. It's a battle. It's a power battle. Okay. Okay. 13 for the King of the North will come, will rise again, a greater multitude than the former. After an interval of some years, he, the North will press on with a great army, his army, and with much equipment. 14. Now, in these times, many will rise up against the king of the south. Easy, right? The violent ones among your people. Who's the your people? The Jews. Very good. Will also lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision. Now, we're going to talk about all that later. But Okay. But they, who? The Jews will fall down. Um, I honestly think you can give yourself a cross-reference to 810. I'm not positive, but that I penciled it in. So you might want to just pencil because <laughs> it might be wrong. But I, I kind of, it picked up, I picked up on it when it's talked about some of the stars that will fall. <laughs> okay. Uh, verse 15, king of the north will come up and he'll capture the well-fortified city and the fortresses of the south will not stand their ground, not even their choice choicest troops for there will be no strength to make a stand but he the north who comes against the south him the south will do as he pleases he the north he's going to do as he pleases and no one will be able to withstand him the north he will also stay for a time in the beautiful land where is that israel right and destruction with destruction in his hand. That's where I, I kind of came up with the, the totality of these people will be suffering. There will be destruction coming against their, their land at that time. Verse 17, he, the north, will set his face to come with the power of his whole kingdom, the north, bringing with him, the north, a proposal of peace, which he will put into effect. He, the north, will also give him, the south, the daughter of women to ruin it. <laughs> How do you give the daughters of your kingdom to another kingdom to ruin it? How does that happen? Intermarrying. Yeah. Weakening their, their resolve as a people, maybe even dividing their hearts. Who are you loyal to, right? Okay. So it meaning the South in that verse 17, and she, the South, will not take a stand for him, him, the North, or be on his side. So even though there's a union made there, apparently there's trouble in marriage. <laughs> it's right. 18, when he, the North, will turn his face to the coastlands and capture many, but a commander, now this is, we're going to get into this later. This is speaking of, there's a Roman general that's going to come on the scene here. He will put a stop to his scorn against him. So he will put a stop to the North's, scorn against the south so his the first his is north again scorn against him the south moreover he that commander so that's a third color you have to kind of color him separately will repay him the north for his scorn so there, there's a third party that gets he is north, his face is north, then there's a commander. Mark him different color altogether. The commander is separate from all of this. That commander is going to put a stop to the north scorn 
against the south. Uh huh. For his scorn. Yep. I know. So. <laughs> no. This is why Daniel said, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand these details. Now, he understood the big picture. He understood it was about Israel. He understood it was about kings and kingdoms rising and falling. But if, if this confuses you and I in its ancient history, can you imagine, Daniel, he, this is several hundred years before any of this happens, right? Because we're at the beginning of the Persian Empire. It's going to be 200 years before Greece even comes on the scene. Commander comes from the south. Nope. Well, then who's the him after his scorn? Um, the, the north. The north is his scorn, the scorn of the north. So him is the north. The north against the south. And then there's that commander again. Uh, no, no. The commander is a Roman. We don't know yet. He's the north. No, he's a Roman. Well, Roman, Roman, is maybe in the Roman Empire, not Greece. No, no, Roman, Roman a Roman Empire general, right. who's not on the scene yet. It's north of Egypt. Nope. Okay, don't go there. Yeah. Just mark the general distinctive. He's not or he's not north and he's not south. He's a different guy altogether. Okay. Or just leave that verse empty. If you're really confused on anything, leave it empty. Just leave it. We'll get when I explain the history, all those pronouns are going to get names. And that'll help you a lot. It helped me a whole lot when she gave us that. Okay, that takes us down through 19. So, uh, so he he will turn his face toward the. the oh. So he will turn his face toward the fortress of his own land. But he will stumble and fall and be found no more. Nope. The north. Very good. 19 is about the north. What's going to happen to the north? Remember what I said to you starting uh, in verse 10, it makes a switch to the emphasis is about what goes on in the north that kingdom of the north. In the beginning, the first few verses was primarily about the south, south and north. Now it says, although we're still in the north, at, starting in verse 20, there's a new person identified here. Then in his place will arise, uh, in his place, that's the north, will, uh, will arise who will send an oppressor through the jewel of his kingdom. Who's that? Israel. Yet within a few days, he, that king of the north, will be shattered, though not in anger nor in battle. Okay, 21, in his place, that king of the north, a despicable person will arise. Is that the same one as one will arise who will send an oppressor? Which verse? No, no, 20 has finished history. We're now moving forward. Verse 21, in his place, a new king. In 20, then in his place. So you have a king of the north, and then in his place, because he dies or whatever, he has an oppressor. And then that guy goes away. And now we're into another one. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So you can look here closely. 
I have the kings of the north. And then starting in verse um, 21, we start with this guy, this guy who's a despicable king. Okay. So in 21, in his place, a despicable person will arise on whom the honor of kingship has not been confirmed, but he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by in intrigue. So yes, he's a king. Okay, right. Right. And I think because of time, we're going to stop. Okay. The rest of that, I think, I know. We have a lot of time, but what I did is I got you through those really tough ones. And this despicable one is pretty easy to follow. Kind of, if you're just reading carefully and thinking it through, you're going to be able to see north and south in there. But because the primary emphasis in here is about the despicable one and the things that he's going to do. And we've looked at someone that looks like him before. And what we're going to have to do is say, well, is this the same one as Daniel speaks about with the, the little horn that rises up, or is this a different one? Okay. All right. Yay. All right. We are good to stop the recording. Bye, you guys. See you next week. Thank you.